millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing well! Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Absolutely! I'm always ready to do another experiment. Alright, let's give it a whirl! Okay, let's go. And again, every episode, I just cannot thank our listeners enough. I'm so happy that we have so many listeners. It's very exciting to be such a young podcast and have so many people listening. Hello, listeners. Thank you for being there. Yes, uh, it's uh, great. Uh, hope that we are uh, finding you uh, in a uh, positive mood wherever you are in the world and uh, uh, ready to. Uh, we've got a, a great episode teed up for you today. And, uh, you know, if there are any of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, we uh, want to welcome you and tell you a little bit about how we do things around here. Uh, so uh, the way that the podcast works is that in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, now, uh, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It's in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person. But Mom has no idea who this person could be. Uh, so in a moment, I will give her the data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. That is the birth date, time, and location. Uh, of our random mystery history guest. She will then input that information into the back computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. She will then give us an initial reading, doing her best to tell us uh, what the different personality traits, motivations, fortunes of this person might be. I'll ask a few discussion questions, and then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is give a little background about the person, and then we will uh, conclude it by seeing how accurate the chart was at predicting who that person would be. So without any further ado, let's begin. Okay, let's go. Uh, this is a male, 
All right. Uh, born on the 23rd uh-huh. of June. Uh-huh. 1927. Okay. And at long last, we do have a birth time. Yay! Uh, <laughs> it is uh, 10.29 p.m. P.m. Great! And where? Uh, the United States. Okay. So happy we have a birth time. That's so good. Okay, and the city? Chicago, Illinois. All right. Well, let's see what we have here. Uh, so again, this is a male born June 23rd, 1927 at 10.29 p.m. in Chicago, Illinois. Wow. Okay. Uh, very interesting. Well, I mean, I would say first off, see how everything is concentrated on this hemisphere right here? Right. The lower hemisphere? Would, yeah. Well, it's actually the nor- it's the northern one. For whatever reason, this appears the southern one and this is the northern one. But regardless... Uh, Usually when you have someone who has a concentration of all their planets down here, they are very, um, uh, you know, materialistic, like uh, corporate people or uh, somehow uh, uh, should be really good at making money. So there's that. And uh, we have, uh, wow, okay, so this person has uh, Aquarius ascendant interesting because see how it's at 27 degrees Mm -hmm. okay so they're actually on the cusp of pisces aquarius ascendant all right so they could easily have aspects of both in their ascendant okay and how people perceive them uh this person should have been a very unique person um not your average joe okay because with that Aquarius rising and then and then having Pisces right there, you know, just two degrees to Pisces, it would have made him a very creative person, maybe a possibly a very unique dresser or uh, uh, just really unique. Because also here in the first house, we have Jupiter conjunct Uranus. All right. So people who have Uranus in the first house tend to be... Uh, very, very unique. Um, they are definitely not. I mean, on top of having Aquarius rising, all right, and having Aquarius uh, almost in Pisces rising, this person has Jupiter and Uranus in their first house, okay? Uranus, as we know, rules Aquarius, right? So here you have like a double Aquarius, okay? Uh, Except that their Uranus is in Aries, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm making sense, right? Because Uranus is ruled. I mean, Uranus rules Aquarius, right? But this person has Aquarius and Jupiter in Aries. And it has it conjunct. See how this is two degrees and this is three degrees? Yeah. That Jupiter is at two degrees and the Uranus is at three degrees. So I can only imagine that this person was very uh, striking, like, 
or very weird. I mean, it could be both. They could be very weird um, to the average person, you know, or very eclectic or very um, uh, unique, I think. All right. So because Jupiter is benevolence, right? And Mm -hmm. Uranus is uh, futuristic uh, technology, um, you know, real like kind of space age kind of stuff. And this person has it in Aries. So Aries can be, you know, when I say Leo rising, when they walk into a room, everybody knows they're there. Aries can do the same thing. It's just a different aspect of it. Aries is more like powerful, but they don't necessarily uh, drink in the attention the way a Leo rising would. A Leo rising really likes to interact and really likes to talk to people and really likes to uh, sort of um, just interact with a lot of different people. And Aries is more commanding kind of personality. So here you have this person that is potentially very unique and artistic and powerful in their demeanor, right? They don't come across as someone that you could walk on, even though they have the Aquarius Pisces, right? But see, here is where it changes to Aries, right? So here Mm -hmm. we have 27 degrees Aquarius rising. Then Mm -hmm. we have this Pisces to here, okay, with no planets in Pisces. And then right here where the house cusp changes to Aries, we have Jupiter and Uranus conjunct. So that Jupiter is always going to make everything more, right? And Uranus bouncing off of Jupiter like that is very intense. Okay, and now this person also has Moon in Aries. So now we have Jupiter, Uranus, and Moon, right? Uh, all conjunct in Aries. Woo. And then they have Chiron in this. In we move Moon in the second house. So this is a person who really loves nice, nice things, okay? Because that moon in Aries in the second house is going to be opulence. It should be. I mean, Taurus is one thing to have Taurus on the second house, but that's its home place, right? Because first house is ruled by Aries, second house is ruled by Taurus. That's how you decipher what that second house stands for, right? The second house stands for all things Taurian Venus, right? But this person has moon and Aries in the second house. So they love opulent things, okay? Or they should. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, then we have Chiron in Taurus falling in the second house. Now, Chiron is that planet of, you know, a wounded healer. So it is possible this person maybe gained their love for things from not having anything or having some karma with material things and then somehow healing other people or organizations or whatever with maybe even benevolence. You know, it's possible. Uh, then third house is, um, Taurus. Okay. Here's our third house cusp right here. And there's nothing in that house. And then fourth house cusp is Gemini. And we have North node conjunct sun. Oh man, this is a very 
interesting person. Uh, North Node. North Node in in Gemini at 27 degrees. And actually, the sun is in Cancer here at one degree. So see how it changes right here yeah. in that house? Yeah. And then we just have one degree sun in Cancer. But uh, that sun in Cancer might calm down some of this other stuff. But having North Node in Gemini in the fourth house. Fourth house is going to be your home, your community, your country. You know, all of the things that you consider home, right? Um, even your house, okay? And having North Node there makes this person very connected to their house or their country or their home or uh, their community, something along that line, uh, because it is their direction, okay? And it has to do with communications because it's Gemini, right? Somehow communicating for your country, I'm not sure. This person then has Pluto in Cancer in the fifth house. Pluto is, I think, <laughs> the most powerful planet in a chart. I mean, I, I look at a lot of the other ones, but Pluto is the one that has that gut-wrenching ability to take you all the way and burn you down and bring you back up again. And this person has it in the fifth house, which is ruled by Leo, which is leadership and um, also romance. And, uh, uh, you know, that can be very intense uh, romance or even sexual behavior. Um, it could be if dark side would be deviant sexual behavior. Uh, it can also be the light side is is very, you know. Um, interested in children and, and, and children in the family and things like that, but also show business. So having Pluto in the fifth house is a very powerful planet to have in your fifth house if you're not if you're not in show business or even if you're like a leader. Um, is any of this cooking? Oh, yeah. Oh, good! Yay! I love it when that happens. See the difference when we have a birth time? Mm -hmm. Woohoo! I do like it. I know we have to do the people who don't have birth times, but man, sometimes I wish we could go back right away and just go, wait, let's look at all of the birth times and see which one makes sense. Okay, so now we have a really heavy concentration in the sixth house. You see all this? Mm -hmm. We have Mercury, Mars, Venus, and Neptune all in the sixth house. So Mercury is going to be in Cancer. Okay, so Mercury is, we have we have a triple cancer, all right? We have Mercury conjunct Pluto conjunct Sun, all in cancer, okay? Spread across fourth, fifth, and sixth houses, all right? But then <laughs> we have Mars and Venus and Neptune, all right? Mars at 10 degrees Leo, Venus at 16 degrees Leo, making those two just almost exactly conjunct within a five degree orb. And then we have Neptune at 24 degrees Leo in the sixth house. Having Leo ruling their sixth house would mean that they would work in Leo things, right? So that should be show business or uh, any of the Leo things, you know, having to do with children or 
Um, you know, because Leo is ruled by the sun, so it's very bright, right? It's whatever they're doing in their work, it's it's shining a light, mm-hmm. you know? And they have Mars, their direction, Venus, what they love, and Neptune, which is creativity. Dark side of Neptune could be crazy. But I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking very creative, right? They're very creative in their work. They're dri- driven by their work. They love their work, right? And we have Saturn in the ninth house in Sagittarius, trining all that, Leo, all right? And trining this Jupiter, and I mean, literally by degree, right? Saturn is trining. See this great trine here? See this yeah. triangle? Yeah. yeah, it's huge, okay? And so uh, trining the Saturn, right, in Sag, in the ninth house, and 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 um, that's crazy because Sag rules the ninth house, right? Uh, Jupiter rules the ninth house. It's the house of philosophy. It's the house of um, travel and learning and education and all those things. And somehow this person has this, well, this is the only thing they have on this, on the top part of their chart. So it's trining all of this really crazy, unique stuff that goes on in the first house. And it's trining all of this work in Leo in the sixth house. It's very interesting. Do you have any questions? Yes. Uh, so, um, what, uh, what profession do you think this person would go into? Well, I personally would like to think this person was a performer. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a lot of really unique abilities here in their chart. I would think they were, but I mean, they could be other Leo things, you know, they mm-hmm. could be a leader, they could be uh, some sort of commander, but they would be really, really unique. Uh, any. Would- any ideas uh, of what part of performance they might be attracted to? <laughs> something really sparkly. Something, something where they are clearly unique. Like they are not, this is not a person that would be understated. This is a person like. <laughs> I would think this person would be very showy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you covered it a little bit, but I'll uh, ask uh, uh, anyway, uh, what is their relationship to work? Oh, uh, it, with this Mars and Venus and Neptune and Mercury all in the sixth house, I can't imagine that this person did not love work. Like they live to work. They jump out of bed in the morning to go to work you know it's like they're very excited about work mm-hmm. uh and they're they should be very good at it mm-hmm. you know because it's you know six houses ruled by virgo and virgos like very much to have their work be the best mm-hmm. and you know this person would be very serious about being the best at their work i would think uh, so maybe a perfectionist I would think that it could easily be a perfectionist, but definitely a person who will go all the miles mm-hmm. to do what they need to do creatively, you know? 
Uh, what role do women play in, in his life? Well, he has Venus conjunct Mars conjunct Neptune in his sixth house. So, I mean, on one hand, he could work with women. He could work with his women. You know what I mean? On the other hand, he could want to be, if he's heterosexual, he could want to be very benevolent with things, right? Because here in the second house, this person has moon in Aries in the second house, right? So I could only imagine, because a, a person with Aries would want, I don't know, I get this feeling like this person would want you to know that he bought her a new coat. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he he he's very benevolent. I would assume he's very benevolent with women, including his mother. And sisters, whoever gets the presents, right? But the, there are things that he also wants the world to know that he's benevolent. I think so. I think that's kind of a thing, you know? Like, um, I mean, just because the, I feel like this person is very flashy. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, this person would be like, not like, let's say this person took a limo, but they didn't just take any limo. They took the most unique limo that there was mm-hmm. does that does that make sense yeah yeah oh okay so uh, i mean look at all this leo and look at all this aries and then saturn and sag trining all that stop and then here you have this this aquarius rising which is going to make them really different people with aquarius rising are extremely unique uh, how does this person uh, relate to monogamy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, this, well, I don't know. I mean, this person has Virgo on their seventh house cusp. So it's possible. It's possible they can <laughs> be monogamous because they are, they have Virgo on the seventh house. But then again, that Virgo, Virgo can be cool, man. Virgo can be really cool. And Virgo can also sort of like work it out in their head how logical it is not to be monogamous. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I would think that this particular person with all this going on might have a difficult time being monogamous because he he wants to love the women. And the mm-hmm. women are his work. Somehow the women are his work. I don't know how, but this and this and stuff and all i would think lots of money because of all this going on in the the bottom half of their chart i mean i don't know i i don't know i i personally looking at this chart would not think this person was that monogamy being monogamous was the top of their list they're very busy being fabulous Mm -hmm. this is the i would think a very fabulous person um, can you get any sense of, uh, uh, the, their, their physical characteristics? Would they be an athletic person? Um, well, they do have, uh, Jupiter and Uranus in Aries. And typically Aries is, looks like a warrior, right? That would be what you would think. And they do tend to be very physical, right? But 
they have Aquarius rising. And you have to go from this Aquarius through the Pisces to get to this Aries. Mm -hmm. So in a way, yes. But I would also think it would be different. Like not, like you not thinking, oh, okay, uh, this person is the guy on the football team. You know what I mean? Like the guy on the football team's buff, right? Mm -hmm. But that's kind of just average compared to this guy hmm. this guy's different mm -hmm. yeah yeah um how uh how would this person uh do with uh controlled substances well uh it's part of his work <laughs> i don't know i really don't because here's neptune right and whenever you're talking about uh, addictions or things like that, you you go to the dark side of Neptune, right? Which is mm. why, like when we were talking about Anson Jones and he had Moon and Pisces, and it's just too much, right? Yeah. And it's too easy for them to do it. It's too easy for someone who has a Moon or a, an affliction in Pisces because that particular Pisces wants to go to the stratosphere. They don't want to deal with this world. They don't like it. It's not good for them, mm -hmm. right? So they're more comfortable when they're, you know, out there, which is very bad. They need to use, while they're here on this planet at this time, they need to use their powers for creativity and stuff like that for good. They need mm -hmm. to not, you know, try to escape because they're here. So they have to do what we're here for, whatever it is, whatever we signed up for, we're here now. No, do it. No, no, everybody doesn't like it, but we have to do it. So in this particular situation, he's got Neptune and Leo. So that sort of gives him like, well, hey, uh, I'm in charge of whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So it is possible that this person could have dabbled in stuff. You know, mm -hmm. but I, I, I mean, it's possible for everybody to die. Right. Stuff. There's right. no, there's no real straightforward answer in, do, do, no, because there's nothing here. He has nothing in Pisces, right? Okay. And I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that Pisces in quotes is going to be the one, you know, but also you have to look at what's in Capricorn because Capricorns are also notorious for being addicted. Right. Yeah. So you have to look at these different things. But no, I don't see anything straightforward right off the bat that tells me, oh, yeah, this person could have a problem. You know what I mean? OK. OK. So. Mm. Um, uh, how is this person's self-esteem? <laughs> I would think that this person has crazy good self-esteem. I would not think this person had one moment of doubt about anything. There's way too much going on here. Hey, but maybe, uh, you know, I mean, they do have a uh, son in cancer. All right. And they do have Pluto in cancer. All right. And they do have Mercury in cancer. So they're a triple cancer, triple Leo. All right. And you might as well just go ahead and say triple Aries because you can pull this Sag down into this Aries because you got all this fire 
But um, it is possible that this person maybe could have had moments of doubt because cancer people are very um, uh, more concerned about other people, right, than themselves. Mm. So even though this person, I mean, if this person said, I'm a cancer, you would not necessarily believe that this person was a cancer because they've got all this other stuff going on. And that's why when people read the newspaper to get their, you know, forecast for astrology, that is not a good idea because that that is not your forecast. That is just some forecast for, you know, random you know, cancer or Leo or whatever. But I mean, maybe this person could have had moments of doubt, but I, I don't think that they would last very long. Okay. I think that this person would, would, would get back up and, and go fight the good fight. And this person has way too much fire to be, you know, taken down by self-doubt. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, how does this person relate to sexuality? Um, I think they like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think they like it a whole bunch. And uh, having Pluto in the fifth house, Pluto is the planet of sexuality and secrets and i mean pluto rules scorpio so um i I don't know what else i could say their particular pluto is in cancer but it is in the fifth house the house of relationships right because the fifth house is also about uh really you know romantic relationships and sexuality if you're looking to find out you know if people are going to have a good relationship you know, you look at the fifth house, you look at the seventh house, you look at the eighth house, and, uh, you know, you look at a lot of different other aspects. But I would think they didn't have a problem there. Okay. Uh, are uh, Is there anything else about this chart that you haven't uh, talked about already? <laughs> I don't know. I just think that uh, this person has the ability to sway if this is a heterosexual person this person can definitely have no problem uh just having women swoon uh-huh i would think i would think so mm-hmm. because this is a lot i mean this guy dang <laughs> i don't know who this is but man he's something yeah yes he sure was <laughs> Uh, so I think we're ready for our summary of our findings. Uh, so uh, first thing uh, was very materialistic, good at making money, a very unique person, not average, very creative, a unique dresser, uh, could be very weird or very striking, eclectic, you know when he enters a room, artistic and powerful, commanding, intense, Loves nice things, opulence, uh, gained love uh, through through lack. So the, it's possible that he gained uh, uh, these uh, the love of material things through a lack of having them early on in his life. Uh, lessons with materialism, uh, connected to home and community, uh, and communications about home and community, intense romance and sexual behavior, uh, power in show business, work in show business, uh, creative or crazy, uh, driven by work, uh, could be a performer, 
uh, attracted uh, to sparkles, uh, commanding, not under, not understated, uh, very showy, loves work. He lives to work, and he's successful at it. Could be a perfectionist. Um, he will go uh, the distance. He will continue to persevere. Uh, his work might have something to do with his women. Uh, there is a benevolence with women, and he wants to show the world his benevolence to the women. Uh, he could have a difficult time with monogamy. Uh, women are connected to the work. Uh, would be a different type of athletic person. Uh, drugs could be part of the work. Uh, could have good self-esteem. Uh, more concern for others than for self. Possible moments of doubt and uh, a very sexual person. Uh, did I leave anything out? No, I don't think so. Would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? Yes, I really do. You are looking at the astrological birth chart of Bob Fosse. <laughs> yes! Oh my god, I nailed it! <laughs> Woo! The Oh my, that's amazing! Okay, yeah! Oh hell yeah, that's my pussy! Oh yeah, it is! Who knows what he's gonna do? Lord of mercy! Oh! Yeah, he was definitely. Oh yeah, there was. <laughs> There was no way around this. This is happening. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love Bob Fosse. Uh, I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> who does not love Fosse? Oh, uh, that's great. So for uh, those in the audience who do not know automatically who uh, Bob Fosse is, uh, Fosse was uh, one of uh, the most influential choreographers, directors of uh, musicals and uh, films uh, of the latter part of the 20th century. Uh, he uh, pretty much cemented his style onto Broadway with shows like Chicago and Pippin uh, and uh, it, any sort of musical that you might watch today or any sort of classic Hollywood musical from the 50s onward very likely has a Fosse touch uh, from the style of dance that he created. Uh, so uh, Bob Fosse was born uh, Robert Louis Fosse, June 23rd, 1927, in Chicago. He was born to Cyril and Sarah Fosse. Uh, Cyril uh, was a traveling salesman for the Hershey Candy Company. Uh, Bob was uh, the fifth of six children. Uh, he, all of his brothers were uh, much taller than he was, and they were much more athletic, and they were good at uh, football and baseball. And uh, it was very hard for Bob Fosse to get attention in that household. Uh, and he knew that he couldn't do it through the conventional means of sports, and so he very early started uh, dancing. He was very much attracted to uh, the theater, to dance. He would go to the movie theater and see Fred Astaire movies. He would see them five six times in a row. Uh, he would go to the vaudeville houses. He would see the uh, even the African-American uh, 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 houses to see how they danced, and then he would go back home and replicate those dances in uh, front of the family. 
Um, uh, this was all just what he was learning on his own. He uh, did get to go to uh, uh, dance classes uh, during grade school because uh, there was a, a crush uh, that he had on a on a girl that he was going to school with, and she went to dancing classes, and so he went to the dancing classes. Uh, that girl actually quit uh, uh, the next week, uh, but Bob Fosse <laughs> stayed in the dancing classes. Um, by the age of 13, uh, he was uh, performing professionally. Uh, he was uh, performing uh, with a uh, friend named Charles Grass, and they were performing as the Riff Brothers. Uh, they were making $10 a night, uh, six days a week, so $60 a week. And uh, he very much uh, liked the uh, world of the burlesque theaters and all of the <laughs> uh, uh, extravagant and exciting sights and sounds and women uh, in the uh, burlesque calls. Uh, in 1939, Bob Fosse uh, was the only boy who was in Frederick Waverly's Chicago ballet class. Uh, Bob Fosse graduated high school in 1945 and served in the U.S. Navy. Uh, he, uh, during his time in the Navy, he uh, requested to uh, be put onto special assignment for the special services, uh, so doing uh, shows uh, for the USO to entertain the troops, and uh, he performed in musicals for uh, uh, the soldiers who were stationed in the Pacific uh, after World War II. Uh, Fosse was discharged from the Navy in 1947, and uh, he went to New York. Uh, he wanted to be a, a nightclub uh, performer, wanted to continue his uh, a career in the uh, burlesque and vaudeville halls, and uh, he also started to get some early uh, television gigs. Uh, while he was doing this, uh, he uh, married his dance partner, uh, Mary Ann Niles, uh, and uh, immediately started seeing other women as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah. One of these uh, other women was named uh, Joan McCracken. Uh, Joan was 12 years older than Bob Fosse. Uh, Joan uh, encouraged uh, Fosse, the, really showed him that he could be more than just a, a nightclub act. He could be more than a, a burlesque call dancer. Uh, he could be the next Fred Astaire if he wanted to. And uh, so he took uh, money from the GI Bill and he took a year off from doing all the uh, burlesque calls and started going to the professional dance schools in New York. He had a bicycle. He would uh, ride his bike to the different uh, uh, professional dance dance studios uh, in New York, and uh, by 1950, uh, he uh, was uh, good enough that he went to uh, MGM in Hollywood uh, for a screen test, and uh, he was 23 years old, but already uh, was starting to lose his hair, and so the uh, people in MGM said, he's great, but we're going to have to put a piece on him, uh, so he'd have to wear a toupee. Uh, it was during this time uh, in MGM that he actually met uh, his uh, uh, his idol, Fred Astaire. Uh, the story goes that uh, he was walking uh, in the back lot. Uh, it was during lunch, so uh, lots of the uh, actors were not present on the back lot. He saw Fred Astaire walking ahead of him, and he started to try and walk to uh, catch up to Fred Astaire. And he got about uh, he walked with him about two blocks down uh, the uh, back lot, and uh, Fred. Astaire stopped and he held out his hand and said, "How you doing, Foss?" Uh, That's Fred so great. Yeah, Fred Astaire already knew who Bob Fosse was. Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful! Don't you know he just practically fainted? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Fosse. 
He probably just would have given thumbs up or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Bob Fosse uh, was working in the uh, studio films, studio musicals uh, throughout the 1950s and um, wasn't always the choreographer, but was developing his unique style throughout the 1950s. What I think is particularly interesting about Fosse's style of dance is that all of the movements, all of the uh, the symbols of Fosse style are all built from his insecurities. Uh, he was losing his hair, so he always wanted to dance with a hat on. Uh, he had a natural hunch, so he started rolling his shoulders forward as he danced. Um, all the ballet teachers told him to splay his feet out, and he couldn't do it. He always had pigeon toes, and so he would turn his feet in. And so he would take all of these things that prevented him from being a great ballet dancer or a great tap dancer and created his all original form of dance from the things from his insecurities so uh the the first film the first real dance that you can see that is a a, a complete Fosse uh, uh, dance uh, is when he choreographed uh, uh, the musical 1954, The Pajama Game. Uh, he was the uh, head choreographer on that, and you watch things like Steam Heat, and you can see that style uh, as it's replicated throughout the rest of his career and throughout Broadway history. Uh, so uh, he was, uh, uh, he Divorced uh, the the first wife. He married uh, Joan uh, McCracken, and uh, as soon as he married Joan, uh, he started seeing another woman. Um, <laughs> he was horrible. Uh, <laughs> So uh, things really changed for him in 1955 when he uh, choreographed Damn Yankees. And there was a, a specific dancer named Gwyn uh, Verdon. Uh, and that would become, uh, if there is a, a, a one love of Fosse's life that is uh, maybe more influential than the others, it would be uh, Verdon. Uh, and they had a great partnership in their personal life and in their uh, career, probably more in the career than in the personal life, uh, knowing uh, uh, Fosse's proclivities. Um, he uh, married Gwen in 1960. They had their child, uh, a daughter named Nicole, born in 1963. Uh, but of course, Fosse uh, continued his philandering ways, uh, having affairs with nearly uh, all of the dancers that uh, he was in charge of as a director and a choreographer uh, throughout his time uh, in uh, stage and screen. Uh in uh, the uh, 1950s, going into the 1960s, he started moving away from classic Hollywood and going to Broadway. Uh, he uh, choreographed uh, Redhead, uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Uh, Sweet Charity uh, was a Broadway musical that was a, a gift to his wife, Gwen, after she had, uh, t she had taken off a few years for maternity leave after giving birth to Nicole. So he made the whole... Uh, uh, musical Sweet Charity to completely um, showcase uh, Gwen's uh, talents. Mm. And uh, did that in 1966. Uh, and then in 1969, uh, it was such a smash hit musical on Broadway, uh, they wanted to make a uh, motion picture uh, from Sweet Charity. Uh, and uh, Bob Fosse, this was his directorial debut. He had been choreographing dances, but now he was in charge of the camera too. Uh, and uh, 
the uh, 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 Shirley MacLaine uh, would be playing the role that uh, Gwen Verdon uh, was playing in Sweet Charity. Um, it's a as with all things Fosse, it is very stylistic. It is uh, very much unique, um, but it, it it did not meet very rave reviews from the critics. And uh, people said that it was uh, it had lost something. That even the dance the dance numbers were great, but the movie was a little uh, uh, the critics didn't like it, and it really um, tainted uh, Fosse's reputation in Hollywood and even in Broadway as well. Uh, he did not work for another year and a half. Um, he. He uh, decided that he knew that he was a good director and he was not going to do another Broadway show. He wanted to make another motion picture. That opportunity came for him uh, in 1971 uh, when the Broadway musical Cabaret uh, needed to, they were going to make a motion picture off of that. Uh, Cabaret went to many uh, uh, directors. Uh, Gene Kelly turned it down. Uh, several other famous directors turned it down. And then Bob Fosse said, I, I will do it. I will direct Cabaret. Um, and so he did that in 1972. Two, uh, that same year, he made a television special with Cabaret star Liza Minnelli. Uh, the uh, television special was called Liza with a Z. Uh, he was also working on Pippin uh, all at the same time. Uh, the next year, 1973, Bob Fosse became the only person so far to win an Emmy, an Oscar, and a Tony in the same year. Uh, so he won the Emmy for uh, the Liza with a Z. Uh, he won the Tony for Pippin. And he won a Best Director uh, uh, Academy Award at the 1973 uh, Academy Awards, beating Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, throughout the mid-70s, Fosse continues working on these great musicals. Pippin comes out. Then, 1974, uh, Fosse works on this, uh, musical that he believes, it's, it's a response to Watergate. It's a response to the corruption, the materialistic culture of America in the mid-1970s, and how much it links to what America had gone through 50 years before in the 20s. Uh, he creates Chicago. Uh, Fosse continued to work on uh, stage and screen. He also continued having uh, uh, many uh, uh, affairs. In 1971, he would be uh, he they would he would separate from uh, Gwen Verdon, but they would continue working together in a professional uh, capacity, and they would uh, actually never divorce. Uh, they'd be separated, and uh, he would be living with other women and doing all the things that he did. Um, but they never actually divorced. Uh, the, I, I think during this time, uh, uh th this is where uh, lots of the things start uh, occurring in Fosse's life that will later be portrayed in, uh, his sort of autobiographical work, All That Jazz. And, uh, one of the main quotes that really stuck out in, to Fosse was, uh, when the tightrope rocker, uh, Walinda, he, he had, uh, had an accident from falling, uh, from the tightrope. And, uh, later on, uh, he was quoted by saying, uh, the wire is life. Everything else is just waiting. So to Fosse, the stress, the, 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 uh, in the moment, the heat, the yes. anxiety, the, the, what putting on the show and the show, that is life. Everything else that isn't stress, that's life that's not even worth living. Uh, wow. 
And and that really comes out when you see uh, he made the motion picture in 1979, all that jazz. Um, Roy Scheider uh, plays a sort of version of uh, uh, Bob Fosse. Uh, you also really get to see all the health problems of this life uh, that he had lived start coming up through the 60s into the 70s and 80s. Uh, he, uh, actually was, he did not, had no idea that he had epilepsy until he was incapacitated by an epileptic seizure while rehearsing one of his shows in the 1960s. Uh, the doctors, uh, in order to, uh, uh, continue this hectic work, uh, schedule, started, pre- uh, uh, prescribing him amphetamines. Uh, he was, uh, addicted to these amphetamines, had massive hallucinations because of, uh, the combination, the cocktail of, of drugs going through his body. At one time, he did believe that he was Jesus Christ. Um, he was having hallucinations, epileptic seizures. Uh, before he was 50 years old, he had had two heart attacks. Wow. Uh, he, uh, and, and all the while continued smoking many packs of cigarettes a day. Oh my. Uh, it, it is really hard to find a picture of Bob Fosse without a cigarette in his mouth. Uh, uh, he, uh, would, uh, dance with cigarettes in his mouth. He would, uh, direct, choreograph, uh, 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 one of the interviews that I saw, uh, they were, it had been after two of these heart attacks and uh, it was with Dick Cavett and Dick Cavett says, I'm, I'm just worried for you. Like, isn't there any way for you to quit smoking? There's, you know, uh, is it about business with your hands? They make, uh, you know, beads and things to do with your hands so that you're not smoking. Bob Fosse goes, yeah, but they just don't taste as good. <laughs> Uh, so 1979, uh, Bob Fosse makes all that jazz. Uh, it is, uh, uh critically acclaimed. Uh, it won the Palme d'Or at the, uh, Cannes, uh, Film Festival in France. It was, uh, uh, it received a standing ovation, uh, there. Uh, continued working throughout the 1980s. Um, he, uh, uh, working both on Broadway, doing the film, I mean, the, the uh, stage production of Danson. Uh, Danson was all of these ideas that he had for dances that couldn't fit into the regular shows that he was doing. So all these lavish ways of communicating with your body, uh, he just made one show where he showcased all of what was in his head. Um, and then he also made a star 80, which was a, a film that was also panned by critics. Um, he, uh, uh continued, uh, uh, choreographing and directing, uh, Broadway shows. Uh, and, uh, in fact, it is, uh, in September of 1987, he was, uh, walking through the streets of New York on his way to the opening of, uh, one of his shows that was being, uh, reproduced. Uh, and that is where, uh, he had a heart attack and, uh, died in September of 1987. He was 60 years old. Wow. Bob Fosse, uh, led a, a life that is, uh, a, I mean, a, he truly had an impact on American theater, on, on the global stage of, of dance and how you use your body to, uh, communicate feelings. Uh, and I just, I get this feeling that Bob Fosse led a life that is really American, that, uh, that there are, so, uh, looking at, uh, that, uh, there's something that 
I admire in, in how he continued to work and he persevered and, and he loved the stress and he loved uh, uh, every moment of putting a show together and that any time that was spent relaxing was was uh, uh, not worth. That's not what life is about. Life is about the work and the struggle. And I'm sure that many French uh, postmodern <laughs> philosophers or the great Eastern thinkers would say that, that that's not what life is about. Life is about finding inner peace and and uh, uh finding sanctuary and all these things but that the, there's something about that perseverance and that work ethic and that defiance and using your uh 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 inabilities using your weaknesses and creating a strength out of your weaknesses that i just admire greatly uh in the man despite all of his many many faults um <laughs> He, he is a, a, a truly a remarkable figure. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And I really am surprised that... Uh, I First of all, I'm surprised that you chose Fosse. I'm very excited that you chose Fosse because you know all that jazz is one of my... It's absolutely one of my favorite films mm -hmm. because when you have a life in theater, you so understand what's happening in every aspect of that film. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to go back to have your questions be like, well, you know, is there uh, drugs involved? And I answered you by saying, yes, they're connected to work. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And then, you know, to have you ask, you know, is he a physical person? It's like, yes, uh, very physical, but not in the way that you would think. Mm hmm. That's so cool. It's very, it's, I sometimes uh, astrology really does amaze me because it's like, wow, that's that's a lot. And then to know, you know, these insecurities that he would have, and then to have taken those and and turned it around, right? Like take that, you know? Yeah. And it's so cool because here, when you have this Saturn in Sagittarius in the ninth house, that's your philosophy. That's your dogma. And his dogma, if you look, see, his dogma mm -hmm. is directly related to this, which is that Jupiter and Uranus in Aries, right? And directly related to all of this Leo, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like this is how it all comes together. And there was no way that this person wasn't going to be a workaholic. That was just going to happen. Having Mars and Venus and Neptune conjunct in the sixth house in Leo? No, that was happening. So, wow. Uh, and communicating through his physical creativity, right? That North Node in Gemini in the fourth house. And the fourth house was the house, right? Mm -hmm. It's the theater. Yeah. That's crazy. It gives me chills. That's so cool. Well, I hope you listeners are all really enjoying this because especially I know that there's a lot of people who are in theater who listen to the show. This is very awesome. Yeah, and, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, the work, I, I would encourage you. I know that Cabaret is going to have a uh, nationwide uh, release for one or two days uh, coming this year in 2022. Um, and then Chicago and, and the early stuff, the Pajama Game and Damn Yankees. Um, these are uh, 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 some of the greatest uh, 
films, some of the greatest expression has ever been captured on film. Uh, so I, I would encourage you all to go and see those. Yes, just go to IMDb and do Fosse. Just <laughs> do like a, a full film festival of Fosse. Uh, so, uh, I think, uh, on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, this one is right on the money. This <laughs> is Fosse. I'm so happy because all these uh, last ones that you've had me do with no birth time, and I'm like, if I, if I just had the birth time, if I just had the birth time, and you gave me the birth time, and it was Fosse. <laughs> it's very good. I'm very excited, Chandler. You did good. Thank you. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you so much for listening. Uh, if uh, you'd like to uh, reach out and talk to us, we are available on socials. Uh, please email us, uh, historyandretrograde at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, at History in Retrograde, on Instagram, uh, at Retrograde Podcast. Uh, there is a link uh, to our PayPal account if you are feeling generous and are able to donate a little bit. Um, every little bit helps us in uh, growing the show, uh, getting better equipment, producing a better show for you all. And um, I think, uh, uh, oh, and please uh, rate uh, us if you are on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please uh, rate and review. Uh, and I think that does... Uh, uh, conclude us so i will say uh, as always in conclusion as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned everything will be just fine everything will be just fine and for all of those listeners who are sending in you know 10 and 20 dollars please believe me those contributions help a lot we wouldn't mind having a nice big fat ten thousand dollar contribution but hey whatever you can do is really appreciated and we do want to hear from you. Uh, we would like to hear your ideas on other uh, potential uh, uh, subjects that Chandler could do the research on. So please don't hesitate to contact us. You know, we will answer you. <laughs> so contact us on Facebook and on Instagram. And, you know, let us know what you think. We're very interested. We do really love you guys. Thank you so much for being there and listening to the show. Yes, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 